This is the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. Welcome to the Liberator Podcast. My name is Jeremy Kubitschek, and I'm with my business partner, co-founder, and friend, Steve Cockrum. Steve, how are you today, my friend? I'm incredibly well, Jeremy. Always a joy to be able to see you. Yeah, shame we're not in the same place, but uh, yep, sunny London. We're in the middle of our balmy summer. It's got to a proper 18 degrees today, so... Yeah. Well... Uh, uh, always good for everyone listening to get the London weather report um, each time you hear the uh, the Liberator uh, podcast. Today we're going to be talking about leadership as a lifestyle, but before we get into that, I'm, I'm noticing you've got a nice blue shirt. The blue shirt really goes well with the gray hair. I'm not saying you have full gray hair, but it fits really well. Uh, I'm, I'm, t- I'm journeying from gray to white, Jeremy, so I'll take gray at any point, but... Uh, <laughs> They always say that people in greenhouses shouldn't throw stones, so I think you better move on quite quickly from this topic. <laughs> hey, I know I don't have much hair. Okay, that's not what this is about. It's oh, good. not okay. about hair. Okay. This is, I was paying you a compliment. But oh, thank you. Would, you. Thank not, you. Yeah. So here, here's the reality that we have one of our partners in crime at Giant. She's amazing. Her name's Jane Farden. Mm. Now, Jane has a side little um, business and things she's done for years on helping people match the colors to who they are. Mm-hmm. Now, can you explain to the world that's listening, all four or five million people that are listening to the podcast, can you explain to them what she told you about your color palette and what colors you should and shouldn't wear? Just real quick. Not really. I've got a, I've got a chart. Apparently, no, actually, let's think about this. I think I was, um, pastel shades suit me well. So, you know, the kind of the light blues, the pinks, the kind of the whites, those kind of, you know, my, my oily um, sort of Mediterranean skin apparently goes well with those sort of things. But she's amazing. She takes you, took me shopping for an entire day, spent an absolute fortune. But I hate shopping so much normally. Uh, but this was really quite fun. So, yeah, all my all my colors are fard and approved. So you you would say then, I just want can you say that again? You said pastels? So you, you're more of a pastel guy? Pastels, I think we'll say. Pastels. <laughs> um, yeah. I think we're, we're back to our translation again. So there we go. That's good. Yeah. she For me, uh, she said mainly you want to wear things with musk and just heavy man fragrance and just real deep. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. That's when you go uh, hunting. She told me it was navy blue and yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, stay in the navies and yeah. uh, then I'm good. Yeah, so Plenty. that's you know that's right. I'm, I'm slightly more exotic. I think I was on the. Uh, I think you are. There you go. Well, it was. It, she was basically saying your hair uh, because of no hair on your head. The the glare. <laughs> I needed something that would absorb. I need. I need some dark color that would absorb all the light, so that when yeah. you know. That, freak out I've often out. said we've got the perfect face for radio, so there we go. I think probably the similar clothing and attire, but I think Which we should is move perfect, on. The, the perfect, perfect timing to welcome to the Liberator Podcast um, <laughs> because it's on radio, not on TV. Okay, so um, all of those listening to our silly American and British banter today, we're excited to share with you some some insights. Today we're going to talk about liberation as a lifestyle and, and um, leadership as a lifestyle. Um, and what does that look like? So every time we talk with you about being a liberator, uh, it's a different style of leadership. All leadership's not equal, but there's a lot of definitions of leadership. In fact, uh, for years and years, I've been in the leadership business for a long time. Steve and I both have. And and uh, years ago, we had owned the John Maxwell entities and worked with lots of different 
thought leaders, and um, everyone had their own little definition of leadership. And I thought it was kind of interesting. In fact, I pulled a few up, you know, just type in leadership in general, and it's just the action of leading a group of people, okay, a state or position of being a leader. Or some people might have a long definition uh, that is academically correct, but it's still head knowledge and not into um, necessarily the the lifestyle piece. So, Steve, tell them our definition of what does it mean to be a great leader in, in our world, and then we're going to jump right into the lifestyle component. So we define really that the, the liberating leader is the one who um, is prepared to fight for the highest possible good of the lives of all those they lead and influence, and that defined as learning how to calibrate high support and high challenge in a way which actually creates a culture of empowerment and opportunity for those that they lead um, in every circle of influence of their lives to basically be the best they can possibly be. So that is um, uh, the idea of calibration to understand high support and high challenge, which is one of our main tools, the support challenge matrix, and it fits in with the liberator tool. But this concept of knowing yourself well enough to lead yourself to know what is your tendency is your tendency to bring more challenge than support, or for some of us, more support than challenge, or a, a smaller percentage bringing neither support <laughs> nor challenge and more abdication. And so in the support challenge matrix, we've got four quadrants. In the upper right-hand quadrant, it's the liberator that is a culmination of high support, high challenge on a consistent basis. You have in the bottom right uh, quadrant, you have high challenge, low support, where people bring really create a culture of fear and manipulation. In the left or bottom left corner, you have abdication, which is low support, low challenge, which is uh, really creating a grayed out culture where people uh, have no real desire to want to do anything. They're, they're tired or, or what have you. Then you have the protector in the top left corner, which creates a culture of mistrust and entitlement, really, because they bring high support, a lot of rah-rah, but they don't share expectations very well, so there's not much challenge there. So those are the four quadrants of, of leadership. So all leadership's not equal in our, our view. So leadership, again, is not a definition. Leadership is a lifestyle. So Steve, explain that concept of, of a little bit more, and then we're going we're gonna, to uh, mash up the five voices with the sport challenge matrix. Yep, fantastic. So I think that the thing to say is that a lot of people will say that being a leader, you know, I'm a leader at work, and that's really what matters. What we're saying is that the consistency of a lifestyle of a liberator means that whether you're working in yourself or whether you're working with family and close friends, whether you're working with your team, your organization, or even in the wider community, that you actually have to be consistent in your liberation, in that calibration in all the areas of your life. And that's why it's such a challenge. I think that's why we often say that there is there is no such thing as an accidental liberator. You, you don't just wake up each day and go, oh, without thinking about it, I'm going to be a liberator. Because none of us are naturally good at it. And even if we, we become naturally good at it and work really hard at it in one arena, maybe with our team, try to balance that with doing that for your family, with your friends, with the organization, with the wider community relationships, you have to be intentional and you have to recognize that whether we like it or not, we live an integrated life. And I think that's one of our you know, challenges to culture at times where 
people, you know, in the public eye will go, well, you know, they're, they're a great leader. They, they're an absolute disaster at home. You know, they're awful father and, you know, they're on their fifth marriage or whatever it might be. But, you know, they're a great leader and everyone thinks they're wonderful. And I think our challenge to that is being, in our experience, it's that consistency and that intentionality across all the areas of our life for the long term, which usually defines the type of leaders that everyone wants to follow. And don't don't hear that as judgmental in any way. We all struggle, and for you know, for me anyway, trying to be a liberator in all the circles of influence at the same time is a constant challenge, and it's why we say none of us sadly graduate from the school of self-awareness. It's a daily choice to say, I know myself, and because I know myself, I'm going to choose to leave myself, and I'm going to choose to be the best of my ability, a liberator as often as I can today in all the circles of influence in my life. Yeah, and it's much, much easier, as you, we've said over and over, it's much easier to live accidentally than intentionally. Uh, now, the ramifications of living accidentally are horrible long-term. <laughs> yeah. They have the bad consequences, and so you'll like the consequences if you're intentional. But to be consistent as a liberator, that's why most people don't do it. Most of us are just, uh, we're numb to the whirlwind of life because of all the tasks and everything else, so we're, we're not thinking those things. But when we do, when we get into the intentional and become a liberator, it becomes intoxicating because you start seeing the results of, of good things happening. So let's dive into the the mashup between the five voices and the support challenge matrix. So the idea then is we have five voices. Um, there's the, the foundational voice of the pioneer, the connector, the guardian, the creative, and then the um, um, nurturer. And when you have all five of those voices, and by the way, all of us, we've gone through that. If you've listened to the, in the liberator um, uh, podcast before or read the five voices book, it, we go through in, in detail but each one of them have a tendency, Steve. So the, I know you know this, but this, the, the pioneer, for instance, because that's who you are, let's go through who we both are. and We'll both share our foundational voices yeah. and what our tendencies are in all the circles as it relates to the sport challenge matrix. Yes, good. So, so from the pioneer foundational voice, um, our tendency is always towards higher challenge than support because there's a desire to win to compete, and that a lot of our identity is made up in the things we achieve and the work we do. So we're quite driven characters. We like to win. We're very task-focused. And therefore, because we challenge ourselves so much, we assume that everyone else would like the same sort of um, part of their life. So an accidental pioneer will always err towards the side of the quadrant bottom right of domination. Because we're very supportive, and usually if we're accidental, support has to be earned because you deserve it. I.e., you perform, you deliver, you show me how good you are, well, I'll bring the support and encouragement. But it's usually, if I'm accidental, it's conditional upon achievement and things are going on. So I'm trying to be a, a liberator most of the time, but when I am accidental, the dominator tendencies kick in. When it comes to family and home, I suspect most pioneers tend to actually bizarrely be protectors because what they do is they're, they're so determined not to be dominators at home to match their drive at work, they often either go, you know, I don't really want to deal with that or they're so determined to be as nice as they possibly can be, they almost basically sometimes go to the protector in their home environment or worse still, sometimes abdicator 
which is I'm exhausted, I've done 80 hours this week, you don't understand what I'm doing for you guys. All the work I'm doing pays for all the bills, pays for all the school fees. Guys, just leave me alone. I just want to watch the sport for an hour or a day or whatever it might be. So that, I would say, is the classic. When we're not being liberators, we tend to be dominators in a work environment and we tend to oscillate between protector and abdicator in our home environment. That would be my experience anyway and probably a fair number of the pioneers we've had the privilege to work with. Do you see any of that, Jeremy? And, and, and what about a community from a pioneer perspective or with the community piece come in? So interestingly, I would say that pioneers often appear as liberators in the community because you don't actually have to have depth relationship with lots of people. Because they love the grandiose gesture, they've usually been quite successful. One of their great joys sometimes is to be able to give back to the community, either financially or through time, or they're often given places of kind of prestige and honor. So in some ways, I think that's often the easiest place for the pioneer to be a liberator because they get to basically appear on a stage, they're great communicators usually, they're making a gift, they're doing it very publicly, so they get affirmation. So in some ways, they're often seen as people driving change or leading initiatives or championing a particular region or something they feel good about. So I would suspect most pioneers, when they've kind of got their head out of the work and feel like they've been successful, significance for them often means they move to the community space as the next place because that's where they get the most public accolades and affirmation for how good they yeah. are. And they're usually on the boards and they're making things happen and those kind of things. So I get it. That's good. And and the, the connector, which is my foundational voice, the connector, um, we live in the protector quadrant. I mean, live there because... Um, it's this high, high ideals of servant leadership or serving people, or we're wanting to make sure that everyone is connected and having fun and doing good. And so that desire, um, actually leads to people pleasing. And so what we'll do is we'll promise way <laughs> too much. So we'll over promise and we'll under deliver, which drives us nuts because we know we're doing it, but the connector has the tendency to just want to please people. So they'll, they'll do whatever it takes um, and so that brings unbelievable support, but we never share our expectations. And so our expectations get undermet at times, and then we get bitter and frustrated and it turns into passive aggression, which then can slide very easily into this moment of cyber warfare, taking people out and or domination through maybe one uh, blow up uh, in, the, in the Hulk uh, category if we're the connector creative. So what's what's interesting about it is I've lived for years in the protector quadrant, um, and I've done it both at work and home, and been very consistent in it. Um, I, I think that um, at times though I've sl- can slide very easily into the dominator category at, at home in the past um, with kind of a ruthless. Okay, you know if I get fed up and I get past it, I'll slide down and start micromanaging which can feel very much challenged with no support, right? So, um, and I also think some some of the immature and insecure uh, connectors to themselves can actually dominate themselves or abdicate. They can get worn out on themselves. So um, when, it puts, when you put it all together, they want to live like liberators, the connector, because they have in their mind this pure motive that everyone should play, everyone's enjoying one another. This is, we're all doing great collaboration and yet, when it plays out to get there, they end up mostly living in the protector quadrant, which causes all types of drama. 
that's, in terms of know yourself to lead yourself, I think those of us who are those who are listening who know you and I will probably say that we've actually described our classic tendencies and patterns. But I think that's the difference. I think knowing what you do accidentally gives you at least the choice of what is the action I'm going to choose. And that's the bit where we would say the difference between the good and the great leaders. The good leader is just, you know, they, they, they come most of the time, they get it right. And people say, well, that's just Jeremy. He's like that. When he's brilliant, he's brilliant. And when he's like that, he's not. And what we're always trying to say to people and to ourselves, first of all, is to say, how do we be intentional when the tendency and the pattern is actually a negative, destructive one? And I think all we're doing for people is we're giving them vocabulary and language and visual tools in many ways that actually gives leaders a choice. Um, do you know, the worst thing of all is I know sometimes I still, I know what the right answer is and I still find myself not doing it. So anyone who thinks that we're, we're sharing our, you know, this is us, the leaders par excellence, everything really in our world has come out of us wrestling with our own struggles, our own failures and our own desire in some ways to be better. And I think that often gives people permission to play. We're not telling you how brilliant we are. We're trying to share in some ways our struggles and those struggles are day by day, week by week, year by year. And sadly, I suspect we'll be still talking about the same tendencies and the same patterns just when we're old and gray in my case or bold in your case. Yeah. Well, let's go. That was, thank you for that. Yes. That, uh, <laughs> nicely placed British comment. Okay. So, um, <laughs> With uh, with the, the others, we've got three more. We've got the guardian, the the creative, and the nurturer. So let me we'll just work on them together, right? So okay. uh, the guardian, um, married to a guardian, um, and so uh, I, I know that. And, and Kelly, are you listening? I'm not sure. But yeah, I'll, I'll be nice. But the the guardian, um, you know, tendency is I I believe in in their mind they view themselves as a liberator because they're truth tellers. They see uh, what's rational, what's right, what's clear, what's obvious, and they're constantly thinking mainly in the thinking world. But what it comes across to, I'll start with team and organization, we'll back into family. What it comes across to the team or family is it can come across as a dominator, mainly because of the body language, the tone and tap, the, the way we often say um, that a guardian can be right and wrong at the same time. Because they can be right in what they're saying, but it's how they're saying it that it can feel uh, very vindictive or very um, judgmental. It can also feel um, uh, as interrogation, uh, stacking questions and constantly. When in the mind of the guardian, uh, I think they're purest. Most of them, they're feeling as if um, you know this is right. I'm just doing what what is obvious. And so, um, an accidental or insecure um, guardian. An accidental, they can basically share too much information to try to prove themselves. Um, they're, they're not thinking what's relevant to the other person. They're basically showing how much they know. And so to the organization, they very much can look like a red. It's different than the Pioneer. It doesn't feel like the grenade launch, but it does feel like judgment. And uh, it can also feel like condescension and, and really is, is uh, people try to eventually avoid them. Um, how would you add, add to the family or, or community from that? I think that the, 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 the guardian is often misunderstood because their desire to get the task right, whatever they've decided is the task. So if it's raising perfect children or if it's 
you know, being a perfect person in the leadership of their community group, whatever it is, the guardian's perfectionist tendencies are so high, they hold themselves and others to almost impossibly high standards. And therefore, when everything's going well, they have time and energy to bring support. But when they feel under pressure of deadlines or expectations not being met, then it's almost like for the guardian when they're accidental, it's almost like the support piece goes out of the window because the only important thing is delivering on the task or whatever it is they said that would happen, which is their must-win battle. And that's when often they appear, you know, they can be very kind of dismissive. They're not that relational in some ways, you know, relationship is something you do when you've got a bit of spare time or when the project's going well when the project or the task or the child whatever it might be is not going well the tendency of the guardian is always towards challenge and making sure we win even if it doesn't feel particularly pleasant to be on the other side of them absolutely so um let's keep going to the creative we've got Mm -hmm. two more um, so the creative, they're the, really the, the champions of big ideas. They're thinking about uh, tomorrow. They, they really value um, organizational integrity. And um, so there's, there's two sets. We can talk through that, the thinker-feeler. I guess there are in every, every voice. But um, still, when you think of, of the creative, um, I, I think sometimes the creatives can dominate themselves a little bit. Um, in their mind because they can, they look and they're, they don't, they're not becoming who they want to become because they have such a high standard for um, their, their future in their world. And so sometimes they can actually um, take themselves out with just a, a, a domination mindset that affects their, the rest of their world. And, and then at times it, it, uh, because the standards are so high and the blueprint in their mind is so big, then they can, it can feel like domination at times um, to be around them in the business world, in the team world, in the organization, because again, they're maybe not celebrating the all that we do because we didn't do it exactly how they had lined it up in their mind. So um, they're almost an enigma. Um, how would you describe the, the creative uh, from the Support Challenge Matrix? I think, again, you were right, Jeremy, in that this is the only voice where actually there is a differentiation between the thinker and the feeler. So I think the thinker creative is, you know, the, the sniper rifle is their weapon of choice when it's triggered. And, and basically, they tend to bring kind of quite harsh challenge, even though it's true. So that's, the, that's their tendency. So in some ways, a lot, of I, a lot of the kind of the thinker creatives or the INTPs, if you speak that, they're only interested often in the things they're really interested in. So they're either massively focused on how do I achieve this? How do we win this? This is where my intellectual brain is being exercised. They can often appear abdicators to pretty much all relationships outside of the world they feel deeply committed to. So the classic thinker creative will not hide that they're not interested. (laughs) They very rarely fake the facts. support is earned because as you said before they hold themselves to incredibly high standards and therefore they tend to hold others to those too and they almost fear celebrating sometimes and telling people they've done well because that's going to make them complacent and we haven't got there yet we've still got a long way to go before we become who we said we were going to do or deliver so it's often quite hard to please a thinker creative you know um, they're the ones that basically, if you've got 90% in a test, they'll go, well, what happened to the 10% you got wrong? 
And so for a child or spouse, living sometimes with that harsh desire is for you to be the best you can be. But in their mind, they're judging you against a standard that they would judge themselves by, which can you know, wear certain people out in work and team and family. Um, and then with the thinker creatives... The, the ones, or the feeler. The, sorry, the feeler creatives, correct. In some ways, you're right. They're the ones that really just almost torture themselves on a daily basis because they desire to be a liberator so much for so many people, but always they're being effectively accused in their mind of not being all that they should be. And their people-pleasing tendencies mean it's very hard for them not to be protectors um, because they're so, so determined to be everything everyone needs them to be, not disappoint people, live up to this incredible idealism that they have of themselves. And interesting, they think other people have of them, which is not true. <laughs> if you're a feeler creative, you hold yourself to standards that no one else would ever believe possible. So therefore, that internal, you said you're right, internal domination, because they dominate themselves, but to the outside world, they're often protectors who occasionally just get utterly worn out and go, I just can't do this anymore. And then they just go to application. And last but not least, we have the nurture. And uh, I say but not least because uh, they're, they're the quietest voice. Um, they make up the majority of the population. And they have such, such um, capital with people because people trust them. They're the champions of people. They're the, they're the oil inside the engines of commerce and family and, and just in, in life. And so they're such a, a, a great person and personality. But they uh, naturally, if you think of the five circles and, and the support challenge matrix, to themselves, they dominate themselves uh, on a regular basis because, again, they're, they're not necessarily living up to who, uh, not necessarily the standards they've, they've placed in themselves, but they don't feel like they have a voice or they, they some, so much of the time give themselves away that oftentimes uh, the, the accidental nurture can really, really... Um, uh, kill themselves with a critique that's just not warranted. Like no one else sees it but them. And so they're the ones who are like, oh, I don't belong. I shouldn't be this. I don't do this. And yet that's amazing because they're very secure for other people, uh, but not necessarily themselves. And so uh, when you when you look at that, so, so explain that a, a little bit, Steve. I think the thing is nurture is seen need in ways that most of the other voices don't. That they, they see people in trouble they see pain they they are such emotionally intelligent in the present and because of that they often struggle to understand well why does no one else see this therefore they take on the responsibility for other people and other people's needs even when they themselves are already partially overwhelmed so the classic tendency of the nurturer is there's nobody more supportive because they see the need they they want to help they want to bring the care and the kind of the resources that are going to help people, but most nurturers struggle to know when they've had enough, or they need to preserve some of their own resource for their own well-being, or even sometimes for their family. So the tendency of the accidental nurturers, they keep giving themselves away, and they keep offering more and more support, more and more resource, more and more practical. And most nurturers who are accidental almost burn themselves out because, in their mind, they often don't know how to say no when people are asking them for other things. And they struggle to bring challenge to the people they're helping, who probably ought to take a larger share of responsibility. And they often struggle to challenge other people to help them. 
So in the team, the nurturer and the leader will often be the one who takes on all the responsibility. Everyone else goes home early because the nurturer knows they've got a family or whatever it is to look after. So the nurturer is very, very poor at protecting themselves, but they're amazing at protecting everyone else. So when, you, when it all boils down, when we talk about <clears throat> leadership as a lifestyle, I hope you understand that all leadership's not equal. You have different types of leaders, and we, we need to understand the dynamics. And when we know ourselves and we know our tendencies, like Steve was saying, we can lead ourselves, and that is why leadership is a lifestyle. Because in essence, we're learning how to constantly calibrate high support and high challenge to really fight for the highest possible good of those people that we lead, those that are in our teams, our organizations. If you do that well and you do that consistently, then people will see you as a liberator. And the, the liberators themselves, what they do is they're, they're green thumbs. They turn things green. Um, healthy people grow. Healthy things grow. And so liberators bring empowerment. They bring a growth mindset. They, th- they bring abundance. They bring levels of high support where people want to be around them, but they also don't back down from high challenge. So, that, so they really, really push people to the highest levels. And that culmination together, I mean, it becomes a, a person that people want to be around, not people that you have to be around. And so the unfortunate part is there's so few liberators in the world that are consistent as liberators because primarily because they haven't turned on their intentional switch from their back. But once they do, then they begin to see things proactively. They begin to lead and know. So then if, if you're really a, if you're a liberator, you start looking and knowing who's on the other side of you because you know yourself. And if you see someone who has a tendency to bring high support, but no challenge, then you can appropriately challenge them. You can show them um, how to become a liberator or vice versa. So that's that's our challenge. That's what we do on the Liberator Podcast. That's what we do at Giant as a whole is we basically help people learn how to practice this style of leadership inside their organization, their family, their their teams. And the results are amazing. And we've been doing it in several countries. Um, and we've been doing it in, in cities. And we're growing in a consistent basis. So that's what our heartbeat is. Anything else to add to that before we talk about the Liberator Net, uh, Network? Yeah, I think I think the thing is you, you can almost take your own liberator sniff test. You can't fake liberation. So you may say, well, I think I'm probably a liberator. But all I'd say is have a look around you honestly at what color and what kind of life do you see around you. Have a look at your kids. Have a look at your wife or your spouse. Have a look at your friends. Have a look at those you lead. Have a look at the organization. Because... What Jeremy says so true is healthy things grow. If you're being a liberator most of the time for people around you, then basically you begin to have stories where people describe your impact in their life and it is almost embarrassing sometimes to be in the room because there's so few people who do this well. If you become that type of leader, everybody wants to work with you. That's the reality. There's so few people who are actually intentional enough to be able to do that so that's the thing I would say is just be honest with yourself. If this is a something you look at and go, God, I'm, I don't see that a lot in my home. I don't see that a lot in my team. Or I'm brilliant in community. That consistency is the, the, the challenge for you today is to go, what would it look like to be more green, to be more of a liberator in all of the circles of influence of your life? Knowing that it will not be easy. And sadly, you don't finish it in one go. One of the things that we do um, at Giant is we have something called the Liberator Network, and it's basically a network of, of friends, uh, individual leaders who are going after this lifestyle, this type of leadership, 
and we gather um, uh, once a year in an annual retreat, um, and then we also kind of serve one another through through the year. But our what I'm really excited about is um, we have our annual retreat in Cancun in January this this coming uh, 2018. And so that the, the dates is it January 25th to the 27th, I believe it is. And uh, so um, with that, um, if any of any of those that are listening that you're like, I want to do this as a life, so I want to be part of this at a deeper level, then, uh, you know, if you want more information, we can talk through that process. Then you just uh, email Hunter Hodge, Hunter at GiantWorldwide.com. And that will be um, something that we're doing um, again uh, once a year. But this is just what we do. We we basically believe in this system so much because we've experienced it for ourselves. And we've seen the consequences, positive consequences of living this kind of lifestyle. So um, with that, uh, we'll end this session. And once again, thank you all for um, listening. And thanks for all sharing. I know a lot of people share the podcast with many people. And I found it to be helpful. Keep your responses up. And let us know how uh, we can help you even more. Steve-O. Wish you well, man, my friend. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening. That concludes today's episode of the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. You can find out more information about us online at giantworldwide.com.